0: Hello, my name is Liam Bird, and welcome to Punks in Pubs. Thank you for downloading this first episode and thank you for giving the podcast a listen. So, what is Punks in Pubs? Well, Punks in Pubs is a podcast that I've wanted to create for some time now, but I shied away from doing it because A, I'm not a presenter, Uh, I don't really speak well, and I have also had work commitments. For now, I'm a bum with a little bit more time on my hands who happens to own an audio recorder and two microphones and I thought, well, fuck it. So here we are. I'd like to state I'm not an expert in the genre. I'm just a lover of punk music. And not everyone I chat to will also be in a band. I want to use this platform to talk to anyone associated with punk. So record labels, promoters, photographers and so on. I will also be talking to people from all kinds of music genres, as long as it has something associated to the genre of punk. I wanted to make a podcast for all ages, so if you're a 60-year-old who loves the first wave of punk, welcome. Or if you're a 14-year-old who's exploring the genre and dipping your toe into the filthy puddle of punk, welcome to you as well. So let's talk about episode one with Pat Fetic. This chat took place in October this year in London. And for you people who might not know who Pat is, Pat is the drummer of the band Anti-Flag. Being one of the original members of Anti-Flag, you'll hear us talk about the origin of the band as well as growing up as a punk in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Of course, we talk about politics as well. We also talk about Pat and his label. Uh, We also talk about motorcycles. We touch on the sexual misconduct um in the music industry as well this was because this is recorded in october this we spoke about this in the context of harvey weinstein uh because that story had just broke uh we, we talk about all things colored black you'll understand when you, when you listen to it uh that's enough from me from now so the next voice you will hear will be myself and pat and uh we just have a general chit chat about the tour that they were on in october with real Big fish i will talk to you after the interview enjoy Escaping
1: the American attraction. So, how's the show's been so far? Great. We've had a lot of fun. We were uh, on tour with Real Big, oop, Real Big Fish a couple uh, months ago in the states, so we know them. And uh, thank you. And uh, they've—they're great dudes, and so we've really just enjoyed being around those guys. And the shows are always great.
0: Yeah, I mean. They they seem like the sweetest guy. I've I've had yeah. the pleasure of interviewing Aaron before, yeah, which can be quite a difficult interview at times because he's just so hype and he just wants to fuck around. Yeah, where you like just, just give me a serious question answer. Um, yeah. Then like that's what I like about him. He's got so yeah. much energy and um, uh, he's
1: incredibly talented. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. and he brings his dog on tour. In the States, Disney. he took his dog. <laughs> him, his, his fiance, and his dog were on tour for the whole tour, which is amazing. The dog goes right, sits and watches him on stage. It's really, it's really, yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome.
0: Right, okay, it's right. So I'm dyslexic, so if I fuck up your last name, okay. I apologize for no that. I'm going to have a crack at it. I am with Pat Fiatric.
1: Thetic. Thetic. Yes. It's a wordplay on Pat Pathetic. Oh, yeah. That's
0: very, no, don't do that. <laughs>
1: It was, it was cool when I was 17 years old, I thought it was great, I thought it was brilliant. In uh, Pittsburgh, when you grow up in uh, in the punk rock community, you either made up a name or you got the name as your band was your name. Yeah. So uh, I would have been Pat Flagg, so we came up with uh, Pathetic instead.
0: So is that why some of the members, the, the old members, um, I can't remember his, last, his first name, but he used to be Flagg. Andy Flagg. Andy Flagg. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So it yeah. literally was just given to him because that's Yeah, you, that's just, you just
1: become the name of your band. Your band name becomes your name. So oh. unless you choose another option.
0: every day's a school day. Yeah. Learn something. <laughs> there you go. So, right. Uh, we're in the Bullingate pub I thought I'd give them a little shout because yeah. they've very kindly given me this room yeah. so I might and as well And the woman
1: brought you a coffee up the steps Bless her yeah. Bless <laughs> She her her. like screw you you <laughs> piece of shit there's I gave you a this. room already now you want me to walk your coffee up the steps too I know too? right Look at this prima yeah. donna she yeah.
0: something There's definitely spit in there it, so <laughs> uh, it's, it's good for vitamins So on your Instagram account it says drummer, label owner, motorcyclist lover uh, Which one of them is your first love?
1: Um, they're all equal, and it doesn't have my goldfish on there too, because <laughs> I'm a big guy. I'm a big goldfish and koi uh, aficionado as well. Um, it, record label is interesting to me because I like to be around creative people doing interesting things. And when you're in a band, sometimes the uh, bullshit of all the things that, um get in the way of the fun bit of creating and when you're a record uh, uh, record own a record company you just see the creative process that comes in and you're like oh that's awesome and you can just be a part of it and I like I like that I um, uh, riding my motorcycle is awesome I like to ride my motorcycle at night um, yeah after. no just by myself my I'm, I'm a loner um, and it's just in Pittsburgh, once you leave the city, there's some rural rural areas that I can get to relatively quick, quickly. And, um, yeah, it's awesome to ride my motorcycle late at night when everybody else is asleep and uh, I'm out there tooling around. So what you got? I have a W650, which is a Kawasaki. It looks like a Cafe Racer, but um, it is uh, it, it looks like a Triumph, but um, I couldn't afford a Triumph, so I got that. It was cheap. And it's 18 years old now or something like that still it's pretty, running it still runs yeah so Every, you, are you a tinkerer like no 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 it's it's so dirty i just actually had to take it to the shop to get fixed and they cleaned it for me and they're like you haven't seen this bike clean in a long time i was like no i don't clean it at all i get on it i ride it i take it back and put it in the in the uh in the space and uh, go back and do stuff and then grab it again and go can you tell the difference yeah yeah it was much nicer it was really sweet it looked good i was like oh i'm gonna bring my motorcycle here more often and get it cleaned up yeah i have no interest in cleaning it or it being in nice shape or i just want to i want it to take me fast and uh get away
0: from everybody the the stereotype of if you get a bike um your loved ones say do not ever get a bike did you ever get that talk oh yeah yeah, yeah. i well the uh,
1: my uh, parents told me I wasn't aware, allowed to wear black when I was young. So for the last 25 years, I've worn nothing but black. And uh, they also told me never get a motorcycle. And, uh, yeah, as soon as I had some money, I got a motorcycle. So, But now my wife is telling me, she's like, you really shouldn't be riding a motorcycle, especially at night, because uh, there's deer and shit where we live. And, and all uh, in black as well. Yeah, <laughs> black, exactly. <laughs> it's not very smart. Um, I will tell you this is funny. One, uh, uh, one friend of mine told me, um, cause I was going to get a cool flat black helmet cause it looks like fucking Darth Vader and it was really awesome. And, uh, and she said, you, you, you shouldn't get a black helmet. I was like, why? It looks really cool. She's like, people have black helmets die in, in motorcycle wrecks. I'm like, no, they don't. So then I looked up the research and I was like, yeah, they do. So if you, if you're at a motorcycle, get a white helmet or a yellow helmet or something because it definitely, the research shows if you have a, a black helmet, you die. So so if you don't want to die, die you look you look
0: awesome when you're, <laughs> you're splatted on the ground, but you're dead. As a person who does wear all black, and yes. I do usually wear quite a lot of black, I find that my black fades. Yes. How do you deal with that? Spray paint. Spr- do you legitimately yeah, spray, spray
1: paint? spray paint. Well, not not my regular clothes, but like jackets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just learned that from a, a guy who, uh, a really amazing guy who plays drums for, uh, for Danzig and uh, Sam Hain, and he said, yeah, just get some spray paint, spray paint your jacket up, and uh, it's good to go again for another couple months, and then it gets all gross and sweaty, you have to wash it, and then you just take it out and spray paint it again, it's good to go again.
0: Never there you know. go. There See, you're yeah. learning. I know, right? If you're not learning, yeah. you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about Anti-Flag, because obviously this is what people probably want to hear about. Uh, a band for nearly 30 years now.
1: Well, it it's it all depends on where you count from because Justin and I I'm going grew up together.
0: That's why I'm going. I'm starting at eighty eight.
1: You're starting at eighty eight, yeah. So yeah, Justin and I, but Justin and I were playing together before that. Okay, because uh, yeah, we were just two kids who wanted to play music and uh, nobody else wanted to hang out with us. So we had been playing probably since eighty six or eighty seven. I think we played our first show in eighty eight, but um, we'd been playing. But then Andy joined the band in '93 or '94. So, but he only lasted a year or two, and then Head and Two joined in like '98, '99, maybe '97.
0: I don't know, somewhere in there. <laughs> They've been in the band for a long time. So, how did it come about? Was it just literally, we want to do a band because we got things to say, or was it let's just fuck around?
1: Um, no, uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are in bands because they want to play music. I have no interest in music. I have no interest in musical ability. It's actually boring to me. I have interest in the gang of being in a band. I have interest in in, um, uh, ideas and expression of ideas and... I have interest in activism and the riot that happens, the controlled riot that happens at a rock show, and uh, so those are the things. So people are like, "Oh, you're not very good at drums." I'm like, "You're right. I'm not. It's not something <laughs> I ever really wanted to do. I just it is a uh, a tool to get into the rock and roll world of activism and music. Those that playing drums is just the way of getting there."
0: I would go fuck you man who are you to tell me I can't play drums where, where, where's your <laughs> where well, you come, to come to record? band practice exactly, yeah. they'll, they'll tell you all the time that I, don't, I can't play drums <laughs> yes. so what was your first love was it punk or was it politics um
1: politics the it wasn't we didn't understand it as politics when we were young we were just angry and saw that that things were really fucked up the way they were and why did they have to be that way? Was it Reagan yeah. when you? Growing it was. Up? It was uh, Bush one. It was um, you know Bush one, and then into Clinton. But we also were. It was in the first Gulf War. So uh, as in the the beating of the war drum into that experience, we were just coming into our uh, eighteen years old, which becomes draft age in the U.S. So that experience really fucked with us because we were like, I started to get, um, get educated on conscientious objection, which is a way of, um, if you get drafted, you can go into medical or some other thing or just not get drafted, so you don't have to go and shoot people and kill people. And Justin, um, he, uh, because his dad is from Ireland, was able to get an Irish passport. So we were both trying to figure out ways of not being drafted because we we thought that war was going to go very badly and they were going to start drafting people just like in Vietnam because it was close enough to Vietnam that we thought that that was a possibility. So um, that that whole experience of being angry at the world and that being old white guys being out of touch of what people really wanted – Um, and the potential of being thrown into the desert with boots and a gun um, made us very politically charged and aware
0: so what were you listening to during that time before you even picked up Uh, or or any other social
1: distortion and uh, Fugazi and Minor Threat and the Avengers and the Sex Pistols and the Clash you know the classics we weren't doing anything interesting it was just listening to what everybody else was listening to um but yeah, so, but again, the music was a, it was like, oh, this is where the political kids are. This is where the activists are. They're in this community. This is where I want to be as well. Yeah. This is where the kids who are fucked up and don't fit in with the rest of the kids that I went to high school with or whatever. This was a whole
0: different world, and that's where I wanted to be. So you kind of said that it's more about the message rather than the music. But so, did you find yourself going to live shows, or was it not your thing?
1: Well, no, no, I, 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 I yeah, no, 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 I went. To, I, and I, yeah, shows, live music is is definitely interesting to me. Recorded music is less interesting to me, but live, um, live music is interesting because it's that that you don't get that experience in many other places. I think you probably get it in sports a little bit, but sports are so fucked up, and there has the the idea that i the, what I liked about the rock show and the that is that there wasn't winners and losers that everybody was winning in that situation everybody was losing depending on how you look at it um whereas sports was
0: there's a winner and a loser and and that never made sense to me mm. I mean you say a winner or a loser I mean but one of the things that I found when I went to my first punk rock show was that. I had general fear of the pit, and like if you got smashed up, that is quite, that's yeah, um, so I mean, how about yourself? Because we, so we were very lucky uh, because we were the young kids of the
1: scene in Pittsburgh at that time, and the scene had already, the Nazis were gone. It was they were they were sort of on the fringes, but they weren't really there, and it wasn't as much and. The older kids of the scene sort of protected us and took care of us a little bit more and I think that we were very lucky in that sense. I don't think everybody's punk rock community in their city it was the same uh, I thought we, we there there was like this weird um rivalries within the punk rock our our scene that we grew up in, but we were the young kids we were like significantly younger than the bands that were going on so we they all took uh took care of us more than were telling us to fuck off and yeah, be yeah. shitty to us so we were lucky in that sense for sure so and 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 just to go further because i like to hear myself talk um the 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 fact that we didn't drink at that point and i i still don't drink and so we were like this weird fucked up anomaly with all the other the guys who we were hanging out with were all Borderline alcoholics and a fucking train wreck, but because we didn't drink, they sort of were we were they didn't understand us, so they were nicer to us than they would have been if we would have been just like everybody else.
0: Go go go! I want to drink more beer until I Yeah DJ pump, DJ pump. I'm so cool. I can drink so much. I can drink more than you. My geography of America and Pittsburgh, is it yeah. east or west, or is it central?
1: It's um, it's about six hours from, seven hours from New York City. Okay. And it's about nine hours from Chicago. So it's a little bit east uh, it's off the east coast, but it's not Midwest yet.
0: So I'm guessing that you kind of had that American hardcore, uh, like like you said, for you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So was that kind of more your like? Did you enjoy that scene, or was it like no? Nah, oh, I, God, well, a-
1: I, where, what we got was um, there was actually like a Boston, um, Pittsburgh, uh, sort of connection where we got the the uptight. Morality thing out of the DC hardcore thing, yep. but we also got the like crusty, um, <laughs> dirty kid punk from the Boston, um, uh, yeah, like Rochester sort of thing, yep. and uh, yeah, so it was a weird hybrid. And in again, talking about our community in Pittsburgh when we were growing up, we there was the there was the California punk that was. Um, of the same time period as us, with no effects and bad religion, but we thought that that was all crap, and it wasn't. It wasn't political in a way that we that made sense to us. It wasn't dirty enough, and it wasn't you know crusty and so um, yeah, we were like, oh, that's that's sold out punk. That's not real, yeah. and um, so yeah, we had a very myopic view of music from Pittsburgh, which was just weird because it. it Pittsburgh is a old union town, so it's very socially and economically um, left. Culturally, it's sort of right, but social, but economically and sort of um, union wise, it's very left. So we definitely got a lot of that
0: in our, you know, DNA of the band and growing up. So I, I want to move back to politics in a bit, but yes. I, I just want to kind of talk about your your so making the next step from. From being uh, some young kids making records and then realizing, holy shit, we can actually do this. This is this. We can yeah. actually make a difference with what we're doing, or we can out an album. And people are actually going to buy it. When was that? And what did it feel like going to, like just hearing it on the radio or going into a bar and hearing someone playing your song? Well, that really never
1: happened. <laughs> <laughs> Still never, waiting. Still that never waiting. really happened. Um, well, when we put the first record out, I remember that um, we had New Red Archives put the record out and. Um, uh, then the scene in Pittsburgh sort of turned against us because we were this we were putting a record out on a California label which was this sellout move and the record was gonna be fat. in stores. No, that was New Red Archives. It was long before Fat. Fat was we were way <laughs> sold out by that. Um, but yeah, New Red Archives was this California label and that everybody was in our community was was. Pitched off at us because we would release a record that would be in shops and it was like ten dollars in a store, which was bullshit um, to have a record actually in a store. So there was a lot of that pushback that came. But um, I do remember one of the the moments that I do remember that was pretty awesome is when we had a record release party for that um, that record, which was Die for the Government. I remember we were we had the rec- we played the show. And there was a table in the corner, because um, it was a, like a restaurant or something that we rented to put on the show. Which we all, that was the other thing we always put on our own shows. So we piled the tables into the corner so we could put the so the band could play. And there was so many people in the room that I was sitting underneath a table in the corner of the show, waiting to go on because there was nowhere else to stand. And I was like, this this is cool that. The people came out for the show and at that point it was probably 100 people in the room but it was packed yeah. and it was uh it was that was when i was like oh this is this is cool this this is neat to have people actually like what we're doing
0: yeah i mean for people who have never been in a band or are never actually experienced doing that i mean how how does that feel because it must the, the rush you must get from that i mean, even like you when you when you play your first show and you go Holy fuck! Watch like you're just behind the drum kit and you're yeah. just seeing people go wild. Like, can you even express how that feels or how it, like, how you see it? And it, uh,
1: yeah, I don't think I can express how it feels, but um, it's well, it, I, I can't sort of express how it feels because it's the same thing for me as being in the show, watching a band, and the pits going and. Everybody's singing along, and it's it's you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself, and that is in when the rock and roll show goes um, at its best. That's what it feels like. It feels like we're all going in a direction, and that direction is where we want to go. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So, but I, I. But it's not. You know. And this has been one of our things. Our whole career is that, at when we at that show, I was going to play um, up on stage in a little bit. But before that, there was another band was planned, and I was down in the crowd. I was hiding underneath the table, but I was down in the crowd enjoying that that show and being a part of it there too. So that boundary between stage and not stage is very um, not really a barrier for us, and and I think that that's the the thing is that. The, it, when it works, we're all trying to achieve a goal of getting somewhere else from where we are right yeah. now.
0: So, when was the point when you realized we can like we can jack in our jobs? This is now our job. Um, and it, do you actually see it as a job?
1: I it, it's a way of of paying my bills. It's not really a job because it's it's fun most of the time. <laughs> it sucks getting up at eight a.m. to drive in a van all day, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, there's much worse. I've had jobs, and jo- having a job sucks. Um, playing in a band, isn't. You, it doesn't suck that much. But, um, yeah, that's a very, um, in this, actually, you should do a whole podcast series on this, of that moment when a band can go from having a job to not having to work. And or your job makes or your the band makes enough money that you don't have to work because it's a very um, difficult transition mm. because right before it you're you're on tour all the time and I was sleeping in people's basements and you know you're just living wherever you can and people are feeding you and stuff like that and then um, but because you can't have a job because you're traveling too much and then so it's really fucking brutal that year year and a half before you're like oh this is enough and then you can go back into it and come back out of it too because depending on how things go I know a lot of bands that you wouldn't think are working um, when they're not on tour but they're yeah. when they go home they' they get jobs at a bar or whatever and have to make some money to to keep going so it's that's a brutal experience is that year right before you're you're able to make enough money to pay your rent by playing music. So what were your other jobs then? I was always scamming, um, <laughs> and I would do temp work, and I would uh, be a receptionist, Yeah, which was fucking awesome because I'd always get into these businesses where women were in control, and they thought it was great to have this young boy with fucked up hair <laughs> at the front desk uh, um, greeting people when they came in. And then I got a couple jobs where – um, the, it was too posh, and they said that my fucked up hair and my black clothes were not acceptable. But most of the time, the the ladies that the that I worked for loved loved me, and they in many jobs I would go away on tour for like three or four weeks, and they'd say, "Come on back whenever you're done." So uh, so I would just go and uh, come back to the job, and it was pretty awesome. You gotta die, gotta die, gotta die for your government, die for your country, that shit. You gotta die,
0: gotta die, gotta die for your government, die for our country, that shit! Out of Bush 1, Clinton, Bush 2, Obama, Trump, Yes which one has been the best president?
1: Well, um, Obama tried to achieve the most progressive things. Uh, he failed. Um, Clinton was trying to make uh, the economy stronger and wasn't really fighting for social justice. I think Obama was trying to fight for social justice, but he was failing. Um, so if I want to be if I want to be optimistic, I would say that Obama really tried to make things different and didn't just fail. Um, if I want to be pessimistic, I'll just say that he fucked up and was too much of a uh, a, uh, a Too in bed with the wealthy and the power players to really get anything accomplished.
0: So let's talk about the president now because yes. I think it's a, a very obvious question talking about Trump and it's very easy to, to, to rip on Trump now and rightly yeah. as well. But I mean, how do you go back from Trump now? Because I feel like Trump has... Also, but here's the thing. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward. We have we have seen
1: how the, the system can be gamed and ruined by a charlatan and a con man. Now it's time to say... Everything's broke. Let's build something better.
0: But who is that person?
1: That is the challenge. Um, the thing about in the U.S. that the um, CIA and the FBI are really good at is killing people who are uh, who are leaders of mm-hmm. activists groups. Um, so it's yeah, U.S. Nobody wants to be the leader of the the uh, revolution because they know that the. CIA or the FBI will come after them. There's the COINTEL program, which was a program that the FBI used to discredit Martin Luther King, and now they and then they gave him a holiday. So it's really that backhanded thing of that the U.S. government has often done is um, we're going to do everything to discredit you while you're alive, but as soon as you're dead, we're going to honor you and and adopt your uh, your your name for our power. But yeah, so that right now there are. You know, Bernie Sanders was out there. He's not the leader of the revolution, but he's um, got some good ideas. Um, Yeah, we definitely need a young, a young leader. And what I've learned is that the next generation of leader is going to come out of a music community of some sort, and uh, because that's where most people learn about activism is through music or um, or some type of subculture.
0: So where were you when when it came out that the reality star that is Trump won over Clinton? Because you, I mean, you travel, you, you tour, you travel all over America. So for you, was it a shock when he he did become president? It was, it was a little bit of a shock. We uh,
1: had we were were in the uh, office, the four of us, and we were making jokes that that uh, Trump could win, and uh, and our, our head and our uh, our manager at home, Jesse, who's been with us forever, he said, "You know Trump's going to win tonight." And we're like, "I ah, don't, no, I don't think he's going to. I really hope he's not." They're like, "He's going to win." Or like, "Oh well." And then, then he won, and it was brutal. It, yeah, I was sitting at, at my in my house, um, and it was it was a it was a downer uh, to watch it come in because the first numbers came in, and we were like, "Ah, oh, this could go bad." And then it just kept getting worse, and we're like, oh, shit, this is really going to happen. But I, I did, in watching the election uh, process, we, I saw it coming because you can't – nobody was able – and nobody still has been able to um, defend against him because he's such a piece of shit. He has, there, he has no position other than a position that will give him more power and more attention. So it's very difficult to have a rational debate with somebody like that because he's he's just a con man. That's what he does. He's been a con man his whole life. He's who he was given money early on and was able to con people out of money for the rest of his life. <laughs>
0: It's trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I don't want to be negative all the time with politics <laughs> because it is depressing. Because in the UK we've got Brexit, yeah. which has been dragging its feet for. Well, but again, two you years. have a the
1: similar situation where the guys who were were promoting Brexit they don't really want Brexit. They didn't. They didn't even know what it meant. They just wanted the power that came from being the the alternative. And as soon as they got it, uh, what the, what's the The old mayor of London, the... Boris. Yeah, he was like... Now our foreign secretary. Yeah, yeah, It's just like... And that's the same thing with Trump. Trump doesn't care about the NFL or the flag. He doesn't care about those things. But he knows that when he talks about those things, he gets more power.
0: Well, talk about the flag. Obviously, a lot of people will think anti-flag means, like, fuck America. Yeah, Yeah. which from many interviews that you've done, that's not really what it means. It might have meant when you were younger... Well,
1: no, even from the beginning, we saw that with the first Gulf War, like I said, we were we were concerned that we would be drafted and be in the desert with boots on and guns in our hands. But uh, we saw that whenever somebody speaks and stands in front of the flag, that you have to listen to what they say and take what they say as God's spoken word. And we have a, a saying called wrapping yourself in the flag in the States, which means... Uh, what. I'm going to take on the flag as my identity and then you can't say anything against me. And um, so we saw that and we were like, well, that's bullshit. Just because somebody stands in front of a flag and tells me blatant lies doesn't mean that I have to believe them. So that was sort of the
0: impetus of the the name of Anti-Flag and how that all came about. So yeah, so there's always been that misconception that you, as a band you are anti-America. Yes. So during times whereabouts... National pride. I always find America very weird compared to the UK because everyone will compare the UK and America as kindling spirits because yeah. we're meant to be the closest allies that we are. But something that is completely different from America and the UK is that that pride of being from that country. I yes. think in the UK we're very much ashamed because we colonized the world yeah, by the battle of the gun. We're now like, I'm sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Whereas America is no fuck you. We're, we're American. We're so proud of it. So being a band that. Does speak anti-American at times? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying you always do because I don't think that's true. I think yeah. you have quite pro-American and and are quite patriotic in your own way. So, I mean, during times whereabouts you have gone toward you've toured and you've said, um, I don't want to say anti-American or anti-nationalistic, but you said, well, yeah, 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 it, yeah anti-jingoism
1: and uh, and yeah and uh, yeah, we've had to be escorted out of places when we were young because the the meatheads came in and didn't like what we had to say. So, and so
0: I mean, those those big times. So, like nine eleven. Nine eleven was was a very problematic time for us. So, how did you get through that? I mean, as as a band, were you like, we're going to stay low? We thought, fuck it. No, we this is what we truly believe in. We're going to keep well, going. we what, what we learned from nine eleven
1: is there is a time and a place, and you need to because when uh, right after the towers came down, um, we realized that political statements were not ready, people weren't ready to hear them. So we did lay low for a, for a month or so. And then we came out swinging. And uh, because we saw the jingoism, we saw the ridiculous um, rah, 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 America is great, everybody else sucks type of idea. We're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And the reality is, and this has been one of the things, is that when you say that doesn't make any sense, there's so many other people around you who are like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I've been waiting for somebody else to think that as well and I want to be around those people and we think that when we are like, this is fucked up, that we're the only ones who feel that way but a lot of people feel that way. They just don't have the self-confidence or the ability or the um, white male that we have to be able to say these things and uh, so we luckily and we've been able to have that ability to say these things and not be squashed and it allows other people to say yeah i agree with that and let's let's get together and talk about this (laughs) and say why
0: is this so fucked up but do you think there's a danger of that of just talking to the person who just agrees with you for sure That, that that's always a problem but
1: i haven't figured out the solution to that um we play we're playing with real big fish the people who come to see real big fish are not necessarily um, leftist activists. Um, a lot of the times, they just want to drink a beer and watch a watch a fun show. Which real big fish is an is amazing fun show. And we come out and smash them in the face with fucking <laughs> aggressive punk rock. Um, so yeah, that's that. There's there are times when we play more in our um, our core and then there's other times that we play to people that are outside of our core and there's been times when we've been gotten shit on you know people throw shit at us on stage and stuff and that happens because we're saying things that are that other people don't want to hear sometimes and that makes it interesting and more fun for me
0: (laughs) you like a debate are you you good at debates or
1: yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I will tell you why I think I'm right all the time yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. I I don't know if I'm good at debate, but I I am I I am and we are very passionate about what we believe in and we're we're willing to talk to you about it. And where the the only time that the debate goes bad and this is becomes an issue is when it goes to violence. You can tell me I'm full of shit and tell me you don't believe anything and I'm stupid and I'm like, "Yeah, you're probably right." <laughs> but when it goes to violence, then everybody loses and then that's that's where it becomes that's where debate ends and and yeah, it just deteriorates at that point. So I'm all in favor of a debate up until that violent uh, where it goes to violence because I think there's there's always a chance of being able to a learn something new or b convince somebody of a different way of seeing the world.
0: move for more of a lighter subject okay lighter subject harvey weinstein yes fucking creep (laughs) right so obviously that's come out now The sexual abuse that's been going on in hollywood yeah for me i think something that hasn't really been touched on is sexual abuse in the music industry for sure so as a band who has toured and you've toured with many bands i'm not asking to name names or anything like that do you think that is an issue and something that people within the punk community or in the music community in general need to stand up and actually confront their peers and say, now what you're doing there is wrong. Yeah. And I think it's happening. I think
1: that it's, it, it doesn't need me to do it. I think it's happening already with, um, with the, uh, rise of social media as people are outing, um, bands for being creeps. I, to be honest with you, we've had very few, um, examples that, uh, that I've felt uncomfortable about any of the bands that I've been with, um, so yeah, it's it in I, it, the stereotype is metal bands. It's much more of an issue in the metal community than it is in punk rock, but I'm sure it's an issue in punk rock, but I have not been exposed to it um, that much, but I was when we were on Morp tour this past uh, summer, well we went to a workshop where they were talking about that there's a lot of predation of young women at festivals which I was not aware of because I'm not usually out at the festival grounds but um but they we went through a uh, teaching on how to deal with that and um and some of the skills that c- you can have to deal with uh guys because they said this is horrible but predators look for environments where there's a lot of people and um and a lot of targets yeah. essentially and uh, so I was like, "Fuck, that sucks."
0: There's actually a UK charity. I think they're called Safety for Women, yeah. And and they they go around to gigs and have a store whereabouts they will hand out pamphlets and yeah. leaflets, which is sad because they shouldn't be there. Yeah, and well, and, and that was
1: in when the community that we grew up in that that was not tolerated. If somebody was being a creep at a show, they'd get you know have a talking to or something worse than that, or be asked not to come back to the show. So the yeah, I've. Within my community and the world that I've lived in, um, I haven't really seen much of that. But there's also not as much of a po- – well, there's, some, there's obviously some power differential. But uh, Harvey Weinstein and a movie mogul and 18-year-old women who want to be in a movie, there's a, there's a significant power differential there. Um, whereas in punk rock You can get your own guitar And be on stage any, Just as easily as I can So the po- power differential Is not as great
0: Let's go back to the music Yes So um, With your albums I've, Something I've always liked About Antiflake um, Music Is your art cover Yes I think that's something That's always played a huge part in your music I yes. mean how is that something that is relevant it, or, it, it, yeah it's very...
1: absolutely it's very relevant to us and actually tomorrow we're doing a um, art exhibition because we feel as though that the the artwork that we've created is um, important enough that it should be on the walls of uh, of you know art uh, you know art spaces um, yeah the uh, the artwork is very important to us because we grew up in an era when record artwork meant something now it's just a picture on your iPad or your phone or whatever, and nobody really cares about it. But we we definitely try and put um, a lot of content into our um, records and the jackets because every day we're being bombarded by messages of greed and and hatred and all these things that you should be that you're not. And every two or three years we get to release a record. And we're, we want to make sure that that is packed with as much information to combat those shitty messages that we get every day. Um, and now I realize that it's not really going to do much. It's a drop in the ocean. But for us, it makes us feel better about <laughs> about our existence, that we're at least trying to be on the right side rather than the shit side.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about a new album, yes. American Fall. Yes. Um... I've heard a couple of songs uh, that you've released, uh, yes. either via Spotify or YouTube, and because that's how people get music now. Um, I mean, what is your process when you when you do? You all get together and go right. We want to make an album, or is it that you all go away and you all kind of scribbling down, and then come together?
1: Um, we uh, all of all of the above. Some songs, uh, either Justin or two, will go away and write the song, and other songs um, will come in and be like, "I have this guitar line. Let's let's write a song." about this um, uh, the song on the last record, Brandenburg Gate was definitely um, we all came together and we were like let's just write something and then 2 had a melody line and then we sort of discussed the lyrics and came up with some ideas but then um, like the wall falls on this record um, uh, 2 just sort of came in with that whole thing sort of put together and we sort of worked it out um, through the process so yeah, all of all of the above are are definitely ways of doing it we've been a band for a long time and we have like 10 to 15 records depending on how you count so between all those songs there's many different ways to write a song (laughs) in that 120 or so songs that we've written over the years
0: well i listened to an interview that you did about um making political songs and you said that um if it wasn't for you they they would be uh, Justin and Chris would be writing really sappy songs <laughs> <laughs> there's there, there's a little bit of that yeah they definitely have
1: a uh, yeah they're a little bit more romantic uh than I am so uh yeah and and also if there was yeah there's yeah i i wouldn't say i'm the soul i was probably being a little little shitty in that comment but um <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of discussion that happens, and then some of the songs, I'm like, well, this could we make this about this, or could we change this a little bit? And, and so yeah, it's a it's a collaborative process.
0: Excellent. Well, I want to wrap up because I want, okay. to, I want to let you go. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff that we could have talked about, and yep. I could talk to you about politics for for ages because I find that fantastically. I just find I just find people's passion now for politics is is great, and I feel but it's not this, it's it's politics, yes, but it's
1: trying to find ways that we can be who we need to be without the bullshit. And unfortunately, it comes down to politics because there's usually some type of power structure that is keeping us from being who we want to be, and our goal in life is to tear down that power structure because ultimately we're lucky in Western democracies that the power structure is created by us so we can also tear it down if we choose to. We just have to convince enough other people that that process needs to be torn down.
0: I think we got to leave it at that, but let's do this again. Alright, thank you. If they come, for in the
1: morning, if they come for you
0: in the night They will come for me in the morning The floor, but they hope they come all right. If the dream was in a rock, but they got their wealth of pennies, and besides, we've got the cops. If they come you in the night, they will come for me in the morning. If they come for you, hello, and welcome back. Thanks to Pat for taking the time to sit down with me. Go check out Anti-Flag's new album American Fall on Spine Farm Records. Track listings for the music I play today can be found on punksandpubs.com. I hope you enjoyed episode one of Punks in Pubs. If you did, then please subscribe to the podcast, write and review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to me from. Check out the show's socials at punksandpubs on Twitter and Instagram. If you just want to come say hi, uh, you can do that by going also to punksandpubs.com. In episode two of Punks and Pubs, I will be having a beer with the head honcho of Holy Raw Records, Alex Fitzpatrick. That's it for me. I hope to talk to you soon. If you're going to a punk show this week, uh, have a great time. But don't forget, if someone falls down, you pick them right back up. I've been Liam Bird, and this was Punks and Pubs. Bye bye.